You are listening to the Reality Church Ventura podcast, a collection of sermons from our weekly Sunday gatherings. To learn more about reality, visit us online at realityventura.com. My name is Donna, and I have the privilege of serving it, uh, as a community group leader along with my wife, Donna. Today's scripture passage is from Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 27, and I'll be reading from the NIV. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. This is God's word. Thank you, Don. Next week, we are beginning a new series that will take us all the way to Christmas, and it is a series through the most famous sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, But today, being Labor Day weekend, uh, I want to do something counterintuitive. I'm going to give a topical message on why we don't often do topical messages in this church. It's a topic that we discuss often as a staff and thought it would be really good for us um, to do today. Further than that, it's a bigger question of how do we relate to the Bible? As individuals, when we go to study or in groups when we gather together, or what should you expect on Sundays when we gather as a church? What should we be talking about? If you're new and you're exploring Christianity and you're wondering, like, what do I even do with the Bible? I think you'll find this helpful, and our hope is that all of us would be led to Christ. So let's pray together that that would be so. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you have spoken, given us your word, and that you have acted through your Son who came to live die and rise for us that we might be saved. Thank you that your Holy Spirit illuminates your word to our hearts and empowers us to live it out. 
I pray that today we would be men and women who are submitted to your word, that have teachable hearts, that we might become more like Jesus in what we say, how we live, and with what we emphasize in our lives. And for those that don't know you, I pray that today they would come to know you and put their faith in Jesus Christ. We ask all these things in his name. And everyone said, amen. Well, I was once told, and I will never forget when I was young and in starting phases of ministry, Tim, you won't be remembered or make an impact merely for what you say, but what you emphasize the thing that you're all about, the impression that you leave. Now, of course, this is true for all of us personally. Like when we get together with our friends and family and community or even people in church, like we say and talk about a lot of things, but what others are gonna take away is what you emphasized with your words and with your life. The thing that was most important to you is what others will be left with. This is also true of our church, of us collectively, corporately. We're not just going to be remembered as Reality Ventura or make an impact merely on what we say, but what we make central, what it is that we emphasize with what we say and with how we live. And so it's vital that we ask, what is it that we're emphasizing as individuals, as families, as a church? Where does this emphasis come from? And what is our ultimate authority on all these matters anyway? If you're not a Christian, what is your emphasis? And what is your source of authority? Well, today we come to a passage that could not be more clear about where we should look for authority and where we can discover what indeed should be the emphasis for all followers of Jesus. And this passage surrounds two disciples of Jesus who were totally misunderstanding the ministry of Jesus after he was crucified, and they had not yet realized that he had risen from the dead. It says in verse 13, now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. And he asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? I love this moment. Jesus is there, the risen Jesus, but he's disguised somehow. Like, was it a supernatural thing or did he just have his like ancient hoodie, just kind of like low profile and they're like, who is this guy? But I love that Jesus walks along. He knows perfectly well what they're talking about, but he asks them in order to draw them out. Some translations literally say, what have you been talking about? It's a wonderfully loaded question to these disciples who were headed to Emmaus, which was an area that many scholars speculate would have been the next best location to find an alternative 
Messiah since, according to them in that moment, Jesus had failed. There was news about some revolution coming out of Emmaus. Maybe they were headed there for that reason. But Jesus, disguised from their view, clearly asks the question to draw them out as a teachable moment of where true authority lies and what it is that they should be emphasizing when they talk. Verse 25 to 27. How foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And this is the greatest Bible study ever. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. I raise this point because Christ's question to the disciples on that day is a very important question to us in this day. What have we been talking about? If Jesus were to show up in your living room or your community groups or on your Facebook chat, And he asked the question, what have you been mainly talking about? I wonder how we would respond. Well, Jesus, we've been mainly talking about politics, expounding on political theory and which governing leaders are the true representation of the kingdom of God on earth. Well, Jesus, we've been mainly talking about global affairs, examining the nuances of foreign policies, and speculating the future of all nations, and wondering if, in fact, aliens have landed. (laughs) Well, Jesus, we've been mainly talking about psychology, brain rewiring, health and wellness, and whether or not personality quizzes and Taylor Swift albums should be included alongside the creeds and historic confessions of the church. I jest. In fact, I think I've addressed many of these in my sermons, minus the Taylor Swift albums. And some of these topics do, at times, call for pastoral attention and personal study. But they should not be mistaken for the primary responsibility of the Christian's study or the preacher's pulpit. We must preach what scripture calls us to preach and to emphasize what scripture calls us to emphasize. We start with the Bible. That we seek first to understand and then to explain and expose its meaning to every heart, including our own. There's a technical word for this. It's called expository study. But my main point is this, to put it in a phrase, as believers, we must not be merely based on the Bible, but focused on the Bible. 
Most Christians claim to be based on the Bible, but I could pick any topic and then I could find a bunch of random verses and then like collect them together. But we must not be merely based on the Bible, but focused on the Bible. And again, the technical word for this is an expository approach. This is what expository study or preaching is all about. John Stott, a balanced biblical Brit uh, who died some years ago and ministered in London. He said this, to expound scripture, what does that mean? It is to bring out of the text what is there, expose it to view. The expositor opens what appears to be closed, makes plain what is obscure, unravels what is knotted, and unfolds what is tightly packed. That's where we get our word expository study that we should be doing on our own or in our groups or here on Sundays. This means going through the Bible, going through passages and books of the Bible and allowing scripture to set our course and our emphasis. Now, there is another approach. It's called topical study or topical teaching. Where, as the phrase suggests, You base your own personal study or the teaching of the church on a particular topic so as to instruct yourself or others in particular aspects of Christian faith or maybe even in a particular season of life. And I want to be quick to say that there are times for this. There are good times to have topical studies, although they should still be driven by the text. But here's what I'm going to argue for today. That the regular diet of the Christian, that is every one of us who believes in Jesus Christ, and the diet of the church should start with and focus on and go where scripture leads us. Tim Keller, who is an amazing pastor in New York City, had a profound impact on me. Many of you have read his books. He died recently and went into glory with Jesus just a matter of weeks ago. He wrote a fantastic book on teaching and preaching. And here's what he says. Just as throughout church history, both kinds of preaching have been necessary, so Christian teachers and preachers today need to see both as legitimate forms they can skillfully use. Nevertheless, I would say that expository preaching should provide the main diet of preaching for a Christian community. And in a cultural moment, especially with social media, where there is daily, if not hourly, pressure to have our study controlled by current events, hot topics, or even personal preferences... There is a danger that if we're only guided by those things as we approach the Bible and relate to the Bible, we will actually end up having a distorted view of the Bible and ultimately a distorted view of God. Someone once described it as if you had a physical Bible. I know some of you are like all digital, but you know, the kids will never know, but we had Bibles. They had leather covers on them. We hand washed our clothes too, you know. Imagine if you have the whole Bible, 
But if you only approach it based on the topics that you want to know about or hear about, imagine you took scissors and you started cutting away all the rest of what the Bible has to say about other things that you're not interested in, you will end up with a paper doll version of yourself. Imagine the Bible all cut up and there's just like a little human there, legs, arms, head. It's like, it looks like me, perfect, I love this book. But oh, what got left on the cutting room floor? The stuff that you didn't study, the things that maybe you didn't think were that relevant to the moment in which you were living. Now, let me be clear, there are some benefits to topical or thematic study for yourself or preaching or even services such as evangelistic opportunities or, of course, Christmas and Easter or speaking directly to a historical moment. But I would argue that this expository approach to the Bible when we gather and when we study on our own should be our regular diet. Why? So glad you asked because buckle up. I've got five reasons from scripture. What I believe scripture not only teaches but emphasizes of why we should focus on the text. Instead of using the technical term expository study, I'm just gonna use focusing on the text. Why do we do that? Why when our, our, why do we have women's Bible studies and men's Bible studies and the youth when they get together? Like, why are they studying the Bible? Should they not just skate instead? Like, why do we do this? And what should you expect when you come to church? Why is it that we open up the Bible and all these things are going on, but we continue to just work through the Bible? Why? Well, number one, focusing on the text displays divine inspiration. It displays scripture's inspiration. When we go through the Bible, regardless of what's on our own agenda, we display the conviction that all of Scripture is inspired by God by our willingness to work through passages and to go through books and not just particular themes and topics. Notice from Jesus himself, the word all in verse 27. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in some of the all of the scriptures concerning himself. When you study on your own or with others or when we're here on a Sunday, as the meaning of the text is drawn out day after day, week after week, and we make our appeals for change and calls to action based on what the text says, and we work through a variety of texts, we are building confidence year after year that all of Scripture is the inspired Word of God. Paul the Apostle said to young Pastor Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I've often said uh, regarding the church that we don't wanna just cherry pick parts of scripture that we feel relevant moment by moment and leave people surprised when they actually go home and start working through the Bible and they're like, why don't we ever talk about what the Bible is really like emphasizing? 
In fact, I have found that some passages and books that might normally be left out of my own preaching or my own study produce the most remarkable fruit. I've found this to be so teaching the Bible in, in my years, like certain books. I'm like, man, I don't want to teach one of the prophets. Like, ah. It's just going to be a slog. I'm like, nope, it's the word of God. I'm going to preach it. And I remember back in LA, we went through the Old Testament prophet Hosea, which is a doozy. But it was so good because even though there's all these things happening around us and in our lives, like we needed to understand the character and nature of God, not so that we could just be merely equipped for a cultural moment, but become a disciple for a lifetime of knowing God. We believe that the word of God works in our hearts as it is illuminated to us by the Holy Spirit. So it's not just about information, it's about transformation. As the New Testament book of Hebrews says, the word of God is living and active. God's power in verbal form. So if we believe all scripture is inspired and profitable, then we will display this as we take care to understand and focus on the text. Here's what happens when we don't. Without this confidence that all scripture is inspired and that I need all of what scripture says in order to be equipped and for us together, then we tend, and Christians tend, to overemphasize our personal experience or our own preferences. We tend to emphasize our own experience. I've seen this happen in, in churches where the focus is not on the text, the focus is on the preacher and their personal experience. And maybe that's happened in, in your lives with other people. Let me put it this way. When people hang out with you, if you're a Christian, and they learn from you about the Christian life. You don't want them saying, wow, where do you get such wisdom? And you're like, I don't know. I guess I'm just wise. I guess it just naturally comes to me. No, there should be no question. You're like, it's the word of God that when you taught them that thing, you pointed them back to where you got it from in the first place. It is the word of God and the same is true of the church. They shouldn't just come back and say, oh wow, that unique personality that was there, like, oh, they are giving gold in a way that no one else ever could. It's like, uh uh-oh. Or as we often say as a staff, we don't want people leaving our services saying, what a service. We want them leaving saying, what a savior. What a powerful passage of scripture that was. I've actually found personally that even in the most difficult seasons of my life, one of the best things I can do is continue to work through reading large sections of the Bible, even if it doesn't seem particularly relevant to me in the moment, because God is shaping me in ways I didn't even know that I needed. Not just the parts I like or I'm comfortable with, which leads to the second value, blazing our way through this. So number one, Focusing on the text displays divine inspiration. Second, focusing on the text sets our agenda. What should we be talking about? What should we be talking a lot about in church? What should we be emphasizing? Well, committing to a, a book or books of the Bible is a way of submitting to the authority of Scripture and going where it takes you. 
Let me give you a few examples. We tend to think of the Bible as a book of answers to our questions. And of course it is in a general sense. But when you actually focus on the text and go where the text takes you, you may realize quickly that you're not always asking the right questions. For example, if you're like, I want to know from the Bible where I can get like a strong self-esteem. And then you go do a Bible, you start studying the Bible and it's like, your heart is deceitfully wicked above all else who can know it. We're all dead in our sins and trespasses. Everyone's called to repent. You're like, oh, those aren't the verses I saw from that one kind of sort of Christian Instagram influencer. <laughs> like, wait a minute, what's happened here? But then you go and you realize, wait a minute, I'm created in the image of God. The Bible teaches that. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, as we saw a few weeks ago in the Psalms. But I'm also fallen in sin. I've rebelled against God. I need to be restored to God. I need to be forgiven of my sin. How do you know all that in order to understand about yourself? I'm beautifully created in the image of God. I'm also tainted by sin. I'm in need of forgiveness and restoration. It's when you go where the text takes you. I need the whole counsel of God to make sure that I have the right emphasis in my own life and that we have the right emphasis as a church. So when we work through books in groups or when you're studying the Bible on your own, there's all kinds of themes that will arise that you may not have anticipated. But we need the whole counsel of God. Paul the Apostle When he'd spent a few years with a newly planted church in a city called Ephesus, he said at the very end of his time, for I have not shunned, Acts chapter 20, verse 27, to declare to you the whole counsel of God. If you were there in Ephesus, there was probably a lot to talk about that was going on. But Paul had a clear priority. These people need to know the whole counsel of God who God is, the nature of man, what the gospel is, what the purpose of the church is, what our gifts are. If I don't let all of scripture shape my understanding, the whole counsel of God, then my use of the Bible will be shaped by my personal preferences and pressures. And the same is true of the church. So the antidote to that is focusing on the Bible will help us to resist the pressure to only emphasize some topics while avoiding others. Let me give you a few illustrations of that. Years ago when I was pastoring uh, in Los Angeles, when our church really started growing, it was predominantly younger and therefore predominantly single. I think for several years it was like 70% single. In fact, my wife and I joke because when we moved to Ventura and we got in our first community group, it was like all married couples. And we're like, in 20 plus years, we've never experienced this before. They like know what we're talking about. This is weird. As a result, back in those days, I was asked, could you favor more texts that preach on singleness? But then we would come, we just committed, we're gonna go through the Bible, and all these marriage passages would come up, but we realized how essential it was for everyone, young or old, single or married, because of their theology. Because marriage, as we're told in the text, speaks of a bigger truth about the relationship between Jesus Christ and the church. Singleness also has a lesson for those of you who are married That the way that the church was going to grow was not primarily through a family unit, but through conversion. 
people would be born again and brought into the family of God. My point is there are greater reasons than practical needs in the moment. There are broader theological needs to equip us for a lifetime. There is a reason that every Christian should understand the whole counsel of God. In short, we should let the text control our emphasis and not our emphasis control the text. We submit ourselves to the word of God. Scripture sets the agenda which present, prevents you from hobby horse studies. Does anyone use that word anymore? I don't know. Or from dodging certain themes or overemphasizing others. Let me give you a few more examples. The second coming of Jesus Christ is clearly taught in Scripture. But the details and the timing of the second coming are not clear. And yet, many Christians have made it their emphasis to spend most of their time, if not huge swaths of their ministry, speculating about what is not clear surrounding the details and timing of those events. I would humbly argue they've got the wrong emphasis. We need to be majoring in the majors. But you only know this as you let the text set the agenda. Now, more positively, what are some ways that we allow the text to set the agenda? Let me just give you three quick examples. The importance of community life in the church. Why do we have community groups? Why do we put people together? Why don't we, all, why don't we just say to you guys, hey, everyone, go home, just live stream the thing, and like, you don't have to see humans. Some of you are like, I love this church. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, I'd get so many grateful emails. But I can't do that. You know Why? Scripture calls you over and over and over. It's not good for man to be alone. Some of you are like, amen, as you nudge your spouse or your friend or whoever. We need to be in relationship. We are the body of Christ. We're all gifted and called to serve one another, to bear one another's burdens, to grow from one another, to disciple one another, to invest with in one another, to pray for and with one another, to worship together, to gather together over and over and over again. It is an emphasis of Scripture. But what do we do when we get together? Well, Scripture tells us all about worshiping the living God, that we learn from Scripture, that we sing, that we lift our voices from our hearts, that we worship God, that we surrender together, that we take the Lord's Supper together because it is a command of Scripture. What about the Holy Spirit? Why do we always talk about how much we need the Holy Spirit? Why do we emphasize our need for the Holy Spirit? Is it because we're naturally charismatic people? No, because some of you might not be. I'm not saying that from experience. The word of God tells, some of you are like, well, I'm not really into the Holy Spirit. I'm into the word of God. Oh, but when you study the word of God, it says be filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, how do I know what that looks like? The word of God tells us. The word of God tells us that the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives is identifiable. And he empowers us to produce fruit and kill off sinful desires. Focusing on the text sets our agenda. I'd love it if you ask yourself, as I have to ask myself, which topics are you most prone to avoid? And which topics are you most prone to prefer over others? We need to let 
God's word set the agenda, which leads to a third value. Focusing on the text, day in, day out, week in, week out, promotes biblical literacy. Focusing on the text as our regular diet, as individuals and in our groups and in our Sundays, promotes biblical literacy. That is, people understand the Bible. It is the continual task of the church to be teaching and learning from all of Scripture over and over again. Paul, again, wrote to Timothy his instructions, his marching orders for the church. In 1 Timothy 4, he says, Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and teaching. One of the reasons why so many Bible passages are misunderstood or even misused comes down oftentimes to what we would call biblical illiteracy. People who are not familiar with the whole Bible or no one's ever told them that you shouldn't just grab verses at random, put them on a coffee cup and develop your whole belief system from that. Let me give you just a few quick ones. They're like the greatest hits. You see them all the time. In Philippians, Paul says, I could do all things through Christ who strengthens me. How many times have I seen that posted on someone's like marathon run? I'm like, that's not what Paul's talking about. <laughs> like, I've never ran before, but I joined a marathon. I'm gonna go tomorrow, 26 miles, because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And everyone's like, so brave. Like, that's not what Paul's talking about. If you read the passage, like, listen, some of you are like, well, I didn't get my degree. Listen, friends, I got my GED Okay, I'm a beacon of hope for those of you who barely graduated high school, okay? <laughs> I don't know if he should be a pastor. Well, we can talk about that later. <laughs> this isn't rocket science. Like what we should emphasize is very clear. In scripture, it's very clear. Sure, there are parts that are tricky, but the stuff that we need to major in, it's so clear. Repentance, very clear. Someone's like, does the Bible really teach repentance? Oh, oh yeah, literally everywhere. <laughs> like e everywhere. <laughs> Are you sure? I'm quite sure. <laughs> Let me show you. <laughs> Listen, if you just read the passage, Paul in Philippians, he's talking about learning to be content, whether he has resources or not. He says, I've learned to be content in these circumstances, for I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So what we don't want to do is take that verse and say, you know, what? I'm going to make a very unwise decision because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's not what it means. Look at the context. We want biblically literate people. Another quick example is Old Testament promises made with very specific contexts to the nation of Israel. People often just pluck them out at random and apply them to, to different nations in the modern day. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying there's no application for us. All scripture has application. What I'm saying is that the application for us today cannot contradict the original meaning of the text. But you discover that as you just read more of the Bible, as you become more familiar with the Bible. One of our goals 
as a church is that we're just going through a variety. If you notice in the last few years, we've done Old Testament and New Testament. We've done wisdom literature. We did a prophet. We did the teachings of Jesus. We've done several New Testament letters. We wanna get people for however long they're here familiar with the word of God. And hopefully over time and in our community groups, when you gather together, scripture's always there. We want people to understand. That's why if you join a community group, you'll know every single time it starts out with the Bible and you're supposed to do three things. Community group leaders, you know what I'm talking about. Observation, interpretation, application. You observe what the, what the text, what's there. Like what, who's writing, what's it talking about? Then what is its meaning? And then finally you come to the meaning for yourself. So we, we hammer this home to our leaders. Observation, interpretation, application. In fact, I'm gonna have you repeat it. Observation, say it. Observation. Interpretation, say it. Application. application, in that order. Good job. Go have a fun Bible study this afternoon. As we go through passages, it's promoting biblical literacy amongst the church. And this then shapes how we communicate to one another and to the wider culture, but not with our own authority, with the authority of God. That brings to the fourth point. Focusing on the text reveals true authority. Focusing on the text, going where the Bible takes us, emphasizing what scripture emphasizes, we are essentially communicating that we are not ourselves the authority on all these matters with life and faith. Nor do these teachings just come from our own point of view or our own opinion, but the authority of God himself. Paul knew this. He reminded the Thessalonian church of it when he wrote his first letter to them in chapter two, verse 13. And we also thank God, he writes, continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. Otherwise, it's just a matter of our own opinions. I found this to be true. I remember in my early years of ministry, I remember one person in our new church in LA wrote me this long email to defend that she believed like all sexual immorality was perfectly acceptable and fine. So I responded, you know, just like Bible verses and whatnot, you know, like, hey, actually it's Bible's very clear, da, 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 da. So I, I replied, thought it was like a kind of an easy email. And she replied and she said, that's just your opinion. I'm like, no, no, it's, it's very clear everywhere, like literally everywhere. How did I have the courage and boldness to say such a thing that would determine how someone would make their choices? It's not my authority. It's the authority of the word of God. Which means that this produces in you, friends, great courage and boldness when you share the truth. I don't know about you, but there's a timidity when, now, okay, some of you who know me, you're like, Tim, you're really opinionated. Sure, if you're talking about music or like whatever, sure, I have strong opinions. But when it comes to telling other people what to do with their lives, like if they're asking me, I'm like, oh, there's like a timidity there. But 
if scripture says something really clear, I will have courage and boldness to tell them what scripture says. Why? Because it's not my authority, it's the authority of God. If I can quote John Stott again, he was often asked why he was qualified to teach on marriage when he was single his whole life. Like, what gives you the right to to talk about this since you're not experienced? He replied by saying that scripture is the authority and that as a teacher of the Bible, he regularly taught on things that he had not personally experienced. He even quipped and said, well, the Bible leads me to preach on death regularly, but as of yet, I have not died. (laughs) The authority of study does not come from the experience of the person, but a focus on the text. Don't misunderstand me. When someone is sharing their testimony, that is powerful. A personal experience of walking through whatever the text is talking about with the Lord is so powerful and it can be so helpful. It's why we share testimonies. It's why I quote other authors like I just did. But they themselves are examples, not the authority itself. At the very best, my job or the teacher's job is to be a signpost. Your job to others is to be a signpost pointing back to the word of God. Focusing on the text reveals true authority, which means, friends, real change, real transformation. Why? Because lastly, focusing on the text leads to Christ. It leads to the risen Jesus Christ, who is the word of God in flesh. If focusing on the Bible is about understanding the text and the passages and the books of the Bible and going where scripture takes us and placing it all in context, then we must place, we must place every study and every sermon and every group in the context of what the whole Bible is all about. And that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's why Jesus said, In our text in verse 27, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. The Bible is ultimately a book about Jesus. What should we as a church be ultimately known for? Jesus. Preaching Jesus. Emphasizing the gospel people hearing the gospel and being saved, Christians growing in the gospel as the word of God is opened, doing the work of focusing on the text, expositing it, if you will, when done rightly, will always lead us to Jesus Christ, who is the fulfillment of all of scripture's promises, who came for us and died for our sins, died for our failure to do the word of God, He died for our failure to follow his will in our place as a substitution. But it didn't end there. He rose again to bring us new life that we might be forgiven, that we might be made right before God, that we may be indwelt by the power of the Holy Spirit, that we would have a beautiful, wonderful future and a hope because of Jesus. He brings the change. It's not my opinion. It's not my hobby horse. It's not my opinion, my preference that's gonna change anyone. Friends, it's the living Jesus Christ that's gonna change lives, amen? And that's what we should be all about. 
And so the disciples on that day learned in a way that would change them forever. It ends as they approached the village in verse 28, to which they were going, Jesus continued as if you were going farther, but they urged him strongly, stay with us for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. And so he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he broke bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? And you know what they did? They turned around and they went back to Jerusalem. And so it was when the disciples realized that they had been with Jesus, they reflected on being in his presence, that they were changed. Our hearers, we're going to talk about many things. And the word of God equips us to deal with the variety and ever-changing landscape around us. But our focus should always be on what scripture emphasizes and ultimately Jesus Christ himself. Your neighbors need Jesus. Your friends need Jesus. Your own life needs Jesus. Your marriages need Jesus. Your children need Jesus. Your parents need Jesus. Your siblings need Jesus. Our county needs Jesus. This nation needs Jesus. This world needs Jesus. So what are we talking about? What are we talking about? We want to know and understand the scriptures. And as the Holy Spirit illuminates them to our hearts, may all of us say like these disciples, did not our hearts burn within us? As the scriptures were opened to us and he spoke to us. This is what the Holy Spirit longs to do. To exalt Jesus in your heart. So that when people ask, what have you guys been mainly talking about? Hopefully we can all say, we've been talking about Jesus from all of scripture, for all of life. That's what we need. Let's pray together that that would be so for us. Heavenly Father, if there's any way in which we need to be redirected personally, or even corporately. Pray that your spirit would lead us and guide us to go where your word takes us. God, if there's anywhere where we need encouragement, where we know what should be emphasized, but maybe we lack the courage or boldness to do it, may we know that we're not merely dealing with the word of man, but the word of God. May that be like an adrenaline shot to our hearts. That you have spoken and your word is powerful and you lead us to your son and you make us like your son as the spirit works in our lives. So God, I pray for people that just need encouragement to speak the truth boldly. That you would encourage them today. That we would love your word, that we would hide your word in our hearts. 
and then the areas where we need to be strengthened or maybe the areas where our diet of your word is just unhealthy. Would you lead us? Would you guide us? God, our desire is to know your whole counsel and to be led to Christ, that we might trust Christ and become like Christ. And to that end, I pray that you would even use this time now where we not only hear your word, but we respond to your word like the disciples did on that day. Pray that we would truly 